0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you. Thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode of The Drop In. I'm Gerald Valley, and it is a huge honor to be with you each week and bring you just the stories of some of the most amazing people. It gets me fired up to uh, introduce you to friends of mine who, they've just taken this weird road to get to their version of success. And that is so important. What is your version of success? My version of success was very skewed through most of my life. I had the bar up here, and if I didn't reach it, complete failure. Complete failure. And It took me a while to get to the point to take accountability for the successes and some of the legit failures in my life. It took me like 40-some years to realize that, because I used to beat the hell out of myself every single day because I didn't reach the the goal that I had set. And so, uh, with these stories, it's so many cool folks who have been in these NRM studios with me, and I get to bring that super mega-stoke to you across the world. Across the world! We're in over 30 countries, and it's because of you guys, so thank you so much. I will tell you, this week I was listening to another podcast, because I like listening to the best. I'm always learning. I'm trying to take notes of things that I dig, things that I don't, and I was listening to one, and it was an interview with a guy named Dwayne Chapman. He's the dog. Dog the bounty hunter, right? I've seen this show, I don't know, a handful of times. It's a little bit into it, but not that much. It's not my thing. Like, big muscle dude with a sweet mullet, not really my thing. But when you hear his background story, holy smokes! That dude is a freaking rock star. He is awesome. After you listen to this show today with Ron Thomas on the drop-in... Check out Dwayne Chapman, because he blew my doors off. I am now a Dog the Bounty Hunter fan, and I've only seen like two of his shows, but as a person, that dude rocks. He completely rocks. Always be open to big things. Uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer used to say, be open to everything and attached to nothing. Not that easy, but a great philosophy to live by. Open to everything, attached to nothing. It rocks. Very Buddhist-like. Without too much more, today in studio, I have a gentleman named Ron Thomas, and you know I've known this guy, I don't know, like three decades or something like that, and I've watched him come up. I've, I've seen him grow as a person and as a man, and I heard the stories as he was out uh, doing his thing, going to school, doing this, doing that, and it is with great pleasure I get to introduce you, the drop-in audience, to Mr. Ron Thomas. Ron, thank you so much for being here here at the NRN Studios today,
1: brother! Hey, it's my pleasure, man. It's, it's good to see you, and I'm happy to be on.
0: Yeah, how's the day rolling along? The weather's getting colder here and winter's coming. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's fine, but there's a lot of things to be happy about, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life is life is interesting, especially here in Michigan. You know, we got that record breaking snow not too long ago, and I'm like, it doesn't matter.
1: It might be 57 degrees next week. I really don't know. I'm watching the I'm watching the weather every day because uh, you know I, I just got back into riding again after a long time off now, and so I'm like, dang it, it's another 40 degree day. If it's 45 though, I'm putting on a hoodie and I'm getting out there. <laughs> well, we're gonna get into some of the new
0: things you've been doing in the Downriver area because it's just awesome. People come, uh, hit me up on the streets all the time and. They're they're like, do you know about these big ramps over on the other side of town? And I say, Well, as a matter of fact, I do. So we're gonna get into that with you guys here in a little bit. But let's kick it off where we always kick it off here on the drop in. Where'd you growing up? How was school? How was how was
1: the first, let's say, fifteen 15- Eighteen years of your life. Uh, the first you know, decade or so was pretty normal. I lived in a town called Wyandotte. I'm from there. You know where it is. It's right next door to where you are from originally, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I'm from Wyandotte. Had a normal, you know, I'd say lower middle class upbringing, but I didn't think of it at the time. At the time, I thought it was kind of everything I needed. And then uh, at about 11 years old, um, my parents split up, and they weren't around much. And I'm good friends with them now. But for a long time, I had. Kind of absolute freedom to do whatever I wanted, and I kind of had to hustle and get out and make my own way. And that was, you know, before I was even a teenager, I'd say. Um, So I learned a lot of things in those years, and I got into bike riding in those years also, which kind of became a uh, saving grace of my life for a long time. And yeah.
0: Well, and I got to ask you about this picture because I know when you sent it, (laughs) you were psyched on this picture. You're like, dude, uh, the, the, you sent me some rad shots. I mean, you standing on the edge of the earth, all this kind of stuff, and you're like, I'm so psyched on that picture, of uh, my sister and
1: I. Yeah, I I, I like this picture uh, for nothing other than how humorous it is. I got this big plastic <laughs> Uzi on a tricycle <laughs> in my hoodie. I don't even. I don't have a good explanation for it other than uh, that's awesome and that made me smile. <laughs> it's <is> awesome. <laughs> Normally, I don't pack heat when I'm on my tricycle these days,
0: but <laughs> no, that picture is super rad. And and you know when we stuck digging through stuff and we pull up photos you know I Mm -hmm. I I love I love uh, seeing the old Old photos of, uh, of myself as I started skateboarding or doing whatever, playing hockey. It's just fun. And then uh, this one, you know, like you said, no explanation. I'm 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 uh, with an Uzi on a tricycle. <laughs> Who would have thunk that this uh, the tricycle portion would be a big big part of my life years later? But you grew up in Wyandotte, southeastern Michigan. You know, we get half the year of good weather, mm-hmm. and um, we did grow up in a very blue collar kind of town where People looked out for each other, Mm -hmm. and so uh, as you're growing up, your parents split. You got big things, and you got to make ends meet yourself.
1: I mean, you're you're sort of forced to grow up a little bit quicker than most. Yeah, that's true. Uh, And and in my instance, it was like there were times I remember when we were younger, where like I had to go out and figure out a way to like pay for the electricity and the gas so we could take a warm shower when I was in high school. You know, and uh, and it's those things make you stronger though is when you're a kid you just do it because you need to make ends meet you don't describe it that way but as you get older it instills a hustle in you and so then as you grow into an adult those hardships maybe manifest themselves in strengths as you you know at least for some people and it's um it's it's part of what makes me who I am now I think
0: yeah, I I agree. I agree. You know, for me, my parents split a little bit later. I was 21, 22 years mm-hmm. old, and I went from still sort of being a kid. I mean, I was going to college and riding my skateboard, and I had the girlfriend. It was like a normal life. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, my dad's like, I'm out. And so my mom and I had to throw in together, rent a house. Mm-hmm. My sister, we had cousins and things living with us for a while, and it was Almost instant adulthood at that port part. Oh. I had to now pay bills and cook, and we were taking turns cutting grass, shoveling snow, sure. doing all those things. And I had grown up in townhouses, so I really had no, not much experience in taking care of a house. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's life changing, and it does make us and mold us into something we don't even see at that time. No, it's
1: years later that you begin to appreciate really what that is. You know, that, that was my experience of it anyway. And, and and now I wouldn't have it any other way. At the time, I thought it was tough. These days, I'm like, well, had it been a more ordinary or traditional sort of upbringing, I wouldn't be the person I am now. You're exactly
0: correct. And sometimes when those things are happening, actually, I'm going to say 99% of the time, when you're going through certain... I don't know. I would call them moguls of mountains. Some are little hills. Some are this. When you're going through it, you don't realize the lessons you're going to get out of that until years later. Years later. And sometimes we have to go through those hard times to get to where we're supposed to be. I say that often because uh, I've had my ups and downs. Everybody has. And it, it very much uh, dictates a little bit of a path that there might be something bigger than you pointing you in a direction you're supposed to be going. And with Ron, uh, I think one of my favorite parts of his whole story we're going to get into right now, because you had a full ride to Wayne State University coming out of Roosevelt. And mm-hmm. Roosevelt's uh, in a windout. it's our high school. You had a full ride. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> I love this! Uh, well, I
1: only got the full ride right before I started freshman year. I almost failed middle school. But my mom, to her credit, made this awesome deal with me. And she's like, you go to Camp Woodward, this famous action sports bike riding. Camp, like a mecca for it, if you get straight A's, right before my freshman year started. And I'm like, I thought I was capable of it. I was really just slacking off in middle school. I knew I could have done better if I applied myself. So I just full on went for it because I wanted to go ride my bike at camp every summer for one week. So I worked my butt off all year. Um, And so the result of that, though, fast forward four years, was I ended up getting a full ride for academics to Wayne State, and uh, but I really liked bike riding. Remember, I only got good grades initially because I wanted to go ride my bike at Woodward, right? So uh, when all that said and done, I I attended Wayne State for I don't know two months out of high school, Uh, and and one Sunday night, um, November of my freshman year there, I just remembered I I went to bed thinking, you know, I can't get this idea of I want to go chase my dreams of riding my bike for a living. Um, out of my head. I just wouldn't leave my brain. So I told myself that I woke up the next morning, Monday morning, uh, and I still had the idea in my head. That was it. I was dropping out. I was leaving. Woke up Monday morning, looked at my alarm clock, yanked that cord out of the wall, threw it on the ground. That's an exaggeration. I definitely turned it off, though. And then I just uh, I, I, just went for it. I, you know, I went back to bed, woke up later on that day, went into Wayne State. They actually. Uh, They did this thing with this testing at the time where like I had a a, a positive surplus of like twelve hundred dollars in my school budget, so I went to Wayne State. I told them I needed money to get a new computer for class. They gave me a check. I just used that as the money to move across the country. (laughs) So uh, don't tell Wayne State. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so that that's what happened. So I dropped out. Everybody in my life thought I was crazy, Um, justifiably so. But they, I think, didn't realize, and neither did I, really, at the time, that I was just going to work my butt off at whatever my goal was, and that was my goal. I really wanted to do it, so I moved to North Carolina, uh, to a town called Greenville. It was, it was called Pro Town USA, like in bike riding at the time. Um, all the big names lived there. I moved there, uh, lived on my buddy's couch, and kind of got started in, in BMX for a, a career, if you wanted to call it that. But yeah. Well, in Greenville, like even as a skateboarder through
0: that time, I knew that was like. BMX Mecca, that's mm-hmm. where everybody was a was conglomerate of the best in the world, that's where they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you mentioned that, uh, it resonates with me, because I had some friends who were like, on vacation, that's where they wanted to go to see if they'd run into somebody mm-hmm. that they'd been watching in magazines or videos or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were in high school, did you have any inkling of what you wanted to study
1: in college? Uh, I thought at the time, which was stupid and I would have never been good at it, a uh, chemistry <laughs> teacher for some reason. I think I had a chemistry teacher I liked. Um, I was really into machine shop too, but that, that's what I thought, and it would have been definitely the wrong path for me. I remember sitting in Wayne State my first semester, my only semester there, in a chemistry class. I'm like, this is garbage. I am not going to do anything with this. Um, that's what I thought, or maybe owned a bike shop. Um, I don't. The idea of riding bikes for a living, traveling to do that, or doing anything I do now, just didn't even occur to me as a possibility then. I I, I didn't know how to think big because I didn't have you know a breadth of life experience at the time. Um, so no, I, I I thought maybe I don't even know what I was thinking back then. But yeah, yeah. just
0: that's I think uh, that was just what you were supposed to do. If you did halfway decent in high school and your parents were putting the bug in your ear, and you didn't take up a trade like mm-hmm. you know electrician, plumber, mm-hmm. or whatever. You were supposed to go to college regardless if you knew what you were sure. going to do or not. Sure, sure. And, uh And you made the decision to do that, and then you made the decision not to do that with, like you said, justifiably crazy. Mm. You get to North Carolina. What happens next? How are you
1: financing your life in North Carolina? <sighs> well, I had, I think, like $600 saved up, plus the 1200 I I... Uh Took from Wayne State somehow, and uh, and that was my that was my life budget, you know. So I went down there, and uh, the first week I started applying for jobs. I went to the mall and whatever mall stores, whatever turned in a resume or I don't even know application something. Um, and that and after a week though, I ran into a guy named Joe Scarborough who was uh, doing bike shows. He was managing a traveling bike show team, um, and he had seen me ride at a contest in Florida, you know, six months prior, um, and thought that I would be good enough to go out on the road with these guys. On his team, it's going to like middle schools, elementary schools. It was for Airwalk shoes at the time, and go do performances, Um, and and so he asked if I would want to go do that, and I said I'd love to. I'd be, it's it's my dream, you know. Um, and you, you didn't make much, and it was it was difficult work, and sharing beds with guys on the road for years at a time. But that's but I wanted to do it, so that's what I did. So within a, a week after I moved, basically, I got my first gig traveling and, and doing bike shows with a company that did that. Yeah.
0: Well, and I'm gonna back up a little bit for our our viewers because uh, we skipped over a very important part, I think, and that was the transition years, like when you used to ride transitions. And I remember you. I mean, you'd be sweeping the park. You'd be doing whatever... At at the and transitions is a park that's still in existence today. It was built in the I don't know, late 90s or so. And it was a BMX skateboard park. But Ron would be there, I was skating there all the time. Uh, and and Ron would be there, and I'd see him in full gear like full face helmet. That's how I knew it was Ron. And um, and he'd be sweeping the park, doing whatever, working on ramps, uh, not just showing up and just riding, but being, uh, I think a very positive influence because you were young then. It, you were a positive influence for some of the younger kids coming up, and and your hard work that started way before the straight A's in high school, like that was <laughs> instilled in you way before that time. And I just wanted to frame it a little bit because you worked hard to get as good as you are on a BMX bike. I did,
1: yeah. I, I rode bikes for you know twenty. I don't know, fifteen years, eighteen years, something like that. Then took like an eight-year hiatus and just got back into it. Again. But but certainly, I uh, it opened on April fourth, nineteen ninety-nine. Okay, I was there because we used to always. I was fourteen, I think, almost fifteen. We used to always drive down to uh, Chenga before that, mm-hmm. or K-Zoo, but I'd never been there. But it was the closest skate park. It was a two-hour drive. They weren't everywhere, you know, public like they are now. Um, but yeah, I, I spent a lot of time there. Uh, I remember building ramps, convincing the people that owned the place at the time to build. Certain ramps because, like, basically, I just wanted to practice on a certain kind of ramp. But yeah, I got really, really into bike riding, couldn't get out of my head, so I started going for it all the time. And that's, you know, sort of working hard. I started at Transitions. I, I worked there for a long time, worked the counter, built ramps, did a bunch of stuff there.
0: Yeah, you did a little yeah. bit of everything at that park. Yeah. And, and I do remember that. And and so I just wanted to frame it up that it, it wasn't uh, like you rolled out of bed one day and went, I'm going to be, be a BMX rider. And you were exceptional, incredible, out of the gate. Oh, I was you, terrible. <laughs> you worked hard. Uh, I mentioned to a few friends that you were coming in studio, and they're like, of all the, not, not to diss you. But they were like, of all the people from way back in the day, I I wouldn't think Ron ended up, like, Killing it on a bike all over the world, and they because they remember you when you were 14 and you were just really getting into it. Sure. And and so, it is a huge uh, accomplishment, I think, of, of really following your passion and what you love to do. And it shows every time you get on your bike. And I,
1: when you talk about BMX riding, you freaking light up, dude. I, I, uh, I appreciate the kind words. I it just reminds me of a quote I heard uh, recently. And an old proverb, maybe. I don't know. But uh, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Amen. You just got to start and just, you know, keep at it and keep going. And it might take a long time and everything else. But point A to point B happens faster than you think it will if you're persistent.
0: Yeah, and when you're
1: in it, sometimes you don't even realize it's happening. Well, which... that's why you got to pursue things you love because that's the case, right? Like, Yeah, that was the lesson I learned from when I was younger, is that you just got to follow your ambitions blindly, even if other people think they're crazy, because if you really care about it and you work at it, you'll get there in one form or another, right?
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are sitting here with Ron Thomas on the drop-in, and I want to thank you all for tuning in today. You know, we got a little bit of how it got started, and now, I mean, in North Carolina, you run into a dude, you start doing bike shows, and how long do you do that for? Because in between your work in construction, you
1: were doing what you had to do. Do to make ends meet. Is that correct? Yeah, yep. Um, so, eight months a year, I was traveling, nine months a year, traveling on the road consistently, right? So, for the three or four months a year I had off, I, I picked up odd jobs at home. Plumbing was the most frequent one for me, um, just working as a plumber's assistant, basically. And plumbing stinks. I'm sorry. I don't, <laughs> lie. I do a lot of things, and plumbing is always the worst thing to do for me. Yeah, it's. Uh, Useful skill when you become a homeowner down the road. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I did that for uh, two and a half years, two years. I I rode for this other company. Um, And uh, before I, I started what was Rise Above BMX, which was I started producing the events that I was performing in for other people. And really, it was born out of this. I got sick of lugging their kind of crappy ramps around. I wanted better stuff to ride if I was going to be doing shows on it every day. And I had this background from high school machine shop of being able to build metal stuff, so I I started designing ramps. I went to the people that owned the company I was riding for and said, "Hey, these would be better." And they said, you know, no, we don't have the budget for it, whatever. And so I thought, "Mm, okay. So I I just built my own mobile ramps because I wanted to ride better stuff. And then once they were done, I was like, well, I gotta pay these things off somehow now. So I went out and booked a couple shows, and Rise Above BMX began. And you you started Rise Above when you were still living in North Carolina? Yeah, yeah. I was twenty. I think I was twenty. And it was yeah, I was living in North Carolina at the time. Twenty one, somewhere in there. It was two thousand five. Our first show was May eighth, two thousand five. Now, Rise Above, like your
0: operation is pretty impressive. The trailer that folds out into sweet quarter pipe jump boxes. uh, Was
1: it similar to that when you first started it? Uh, The bones were there, but the first ramps I built um, were. Terrifying because you'd always thought they were going to collapse on you when you were riding them. They weren't built well. I the first set of ramps I built, I didn't have like a good budget for it or anything. I just had money I had saved up, and so I used I bought an angle grinder at Harbor Freight because they had good warranties, and I couldn't afford a saw like a proper saw to cut the steel. So I toasted five angle grinders and just kept on taking them back, getting a new one all for like the first twenty dollars I spent or whatever. It took me like six months to build this first ramp set up, and no, it was awful to answer your question directly, but uh, I refined it with time. You could say. Yeah, it's impressive. The first time I ever saw uh,
0: your setup, Rise Above BMX setup, I was totally impressed. The way uh, how it sets up everything, the guys you bring with you, you bring some quality individuals usually with you that are just uh, amazing riders, but also amazing people. And that's uh, one of the things that stood out to me from the first time I ever saw Rise Above do a show, wherever it was. If it was at the Wine Street Fair in a school, uh, everything is pure class, and I love that about what. What you do, and that says something about you as a person. Um, When uh, when did you leave North Carolina to come back
1: north? Um, I left North Carolina in two. I don't remember exactly. It was a couple years after I went, so two thousand probably five ish, right? I think right after I started my team, I came back here. Um, I came back to Michigan for a few months, not long, and uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at the time. And we had this tour going on where me and another guy, Vinny, uh, we decided that we were gonna. Go around the country, on this tour we're doing all around the country, find our favorite spot and just move there. because we knew we didn't want to be here, which was just temporary. Um, of all places, though, we went to Woodward, and we' are like, we went to the rest of the country. Woodward's the place to be. And at that time, I had been a handful of times, you, know, through high school and such. And so we moved out to Pennsylvania, and, and I lived in the middle of the woods in Amish country for a year. <laughs> now Woodward is the premier. Training, uh,
0: I, I I facility is sort of a small word for what Woodward really is, but they have branched out. They have a few locations now, and you can pretty much go there and do anything. If you want to freaking jump a mega ramp, they have it at Woodward. Halfpipe, street, rhythm course, what, whatever you're looking for, they have it at Woodward. When you went there, I think that was the only location at the
1: time. I could be wrong. There were a couple others. the The one in Pennsylvania where I lived is like the the premier facility, and it's. It's an eight hundred acre complex with twelve skate parks that are all like twenty thousand square feet. And for twelve weeks a year, it's a summer camp. Uh, that's that's how they make their revenue. But for the rest of the year, it's completely shut down to anybody except for visiting pros. And so in the era I was there, it was the top guys in the world at the time, like Jamie Bestwick, Daniel Dare, Steve McCann, these guys that were winning everything were there, call it training, but it would just be twelve to fifteen of us maybe. Um, They're right, amongst those guys, which are the elite in the planet, um, riding every day. You know, just friends. I'm there with the best in the world, and and just observing what they do. And it was it was an amazing time. That was a lot of fun.
0: Now, did you ever turn around like? Because I still, I mean, when I skate big demos or anything, and you know, I'm standing on a deck with like Mike Baliley or somebody standing next to me, like I I'm still a little kid. Like I. I just, I'm like, hey, Mike, what's up, dude? And then when I look over to the side, I'm like, holy crap, it's Mike Valletta. Like, we're like friends. We talk hockey and stuff. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, hey, cool. And I still see myself as this little kid who maybe belongs, maybe doesn't, I don't know. But I'm enjoying the moment.
1: Uh, Did you find yourself doing that uh, when you were with all those guys? Well, absolutely. I mean, you spend time around your childhood idols, and, and you're, at first, they're not humans. You know, they're these, like godly like figures to you you know you had 30 posters on your wall and, it's, and those 30 guys are in the room with you and it blows your mind I'll this was just before. This was in the, the North Carolina days, but like within a week of moving there, I go to this party uh, out at a bar. I had to have snuck in because I wasn't old enough to get in. Um, but it was like an after party because all the guys from X Games just got back, and the usuals, Dave Mira, Ryan Nyquist, all these guys, you know, won all these medals and everything. I'm sure they got golds. Um, but there were hundreds of bike riders in the bar, probably. Uh, and both Dave Mira and Ryan Nyquist, the superstars of our sport, came up to me. And they were the only two that did this, and I was new in town. And they're like, "Hi, I'm Dave. Hi, I'm Ron," and just shook their hands humbly. We talked for a minute, um, and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, "Of course, I know who you are. You know, I got a magazine at home, that's 50 pages, and you guys are on 10 of them. Like, you know." Um, but they were very, very humble, great people, and that's how it's been. I can't think honestly of an exception to that rule. Everybody I've met in the sport that were, you know, I looked up to when I was younger. Are all just great, hardworking guys that are dedicated to their sport, and you know, you you ruffle feathers sometimes. But man, what what a great group of people! I I
0: couldn't agree more. In the skateboard community, it's very similar. The story that always uh, I always think of. In, uh, that could be similar to that is I went to ride at Innes. Uh, Innis was owned by Matt Hensley he at a little mini ramp. Mm-hmm. Jamie Thomas is there. I don't know Jamie. I know Matt. We skate this little mini ramp, and Jamie Thomas was like street god at the time. I mean, every magazine, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. I'm nobody. and So I go in and skate this ramp with these guys, and I'm leaving. I'm getting in my car. And Jamie Thomas comes out of the building to come over and just say, hey, it was great meeting you and skating with you, man. Thank you so much so much for stopping by. He didn't have to do any of that. It's freaking Jamie Thomas! Uh-huh, uh-huh. But he took his time to come out, and like you said, the majority of the folks in the extreme sports world who are that uh, far up the food chain, it's not only talent. It's not only talent. No. Their personality often overshadows
1: the talent. Absolutely. And and when, from being around the best in the best, like in BMX, work ethic, too. I mean, the guys that the guys that I don't want to say treat it like a job because not, it's not a job in the traditional sense, but they get in there and and put in their time every day and really work hard. They excel, and mm-hmm. it's you know it's plain as day to see in person.
0: For sure, for sure. So you love Woodward so much, so much, you decide to pack up shop and live there. And there's so much more to that story. So you're living near Woodward now. You're doing your thing. What happens
1: next? Uh, so I, I, after being there about a year and riding with the best guys in the world, I, I you know, I love it and I'm having fun. But I, I'm, I'm also, I was older when I got there. You know, I was 24, and you're 16 if you're going to really be somebody in that sport when you start. And uh, and it just dawned on me that even if I dedicate my life to this. I don't really want what these guys have. They have awesome lives. They're doing great things. But it just occurred to me that you know this wasn't. I was a little bit of a fish out of water in BMX, and I really like it. I still enjoy doing it, but I didn't want it to be like my all-consuming only thing I do and really dedicate myself to. And to be at their level, I knew I would take that. So I, uh, so I I ended up enrolling at Penn State, which is 45 minutes roughly by drive away from uh, Woodward, Um, and that's that's how I got started in that. And I, when I left college the first time, it wasn't because I. Was disinterested in learning quite the opposite. I just had other ambitions. And then, you know, come 24, 25, I'm like, all right, well, now I'm going to be interested in learning something again. So I, yeah.
0: So you go to Penn State and are you going in blind again? Going, I
1: got to learn something, but I'm not sure what. <laughs> uh, so I was running, I had my BMX teams at the time, which were starting to, you know, become a legitimate enough business to where I could get by with them. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go study business. You know, I'm I'm already kind of in business. This makes sense. And I I take Intro to Business. And I don't know if my professor sucked or (laughs) not, but I was like, this is just a snooze fest. I hated it. I totally hated it. Um, But as part of my other first semester classes, I took Econ 101. Dorky subject matter for a bike rider, but I I fell in love with economics immediately um, and have been, you know, really kind of fascinated by it ever since. So I ended up becoming an, uh, an economics major when I was there. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Right on. And and you graduated? Did nope. you graduate? Nope. Never you did not graduate. Why did not. not? Why not? Uh, well, I was there two years, had every intention of it. Um, two and a half years. I got like half of a bachelor's degree from there, right? Um, and then I started uh, dating my now wife, Samantha, um, and the economy crashed. This is a little bit of backstory, but I, I had always wanted to before, like flip houses. It, it seemed cool when I was younger. I, I didn't get into it right before the market crashed. Um, I, I kind of got spooked by what I was seeing ahead of time, I didn't really know enough to know why, but I said, you know what, this isn't for me, I started a bike show team instead. Um, so fast forward a few years, uh, I, the economy's crashing, I'm in Pennsylvania studying economics as the economy's cra- crashing, and like my hometown is basically like the epicenter of all the worst stuff. $4 houses in Detroit, whatever, you, got, you remember how bad mm-hmm. it was. I remember getting this newspaper at Penn State, and it was three pages of foreclosed houses in Detroit. I'm like, well, I've always wanted to get into this. I'm now kind of dating, or dating for sure, (laughs) and in love with this girl that I uh, that's from my hometown. Um, Maybe I ought to go back there so she can be around her family. Um, So I ended up we came. What actually happened was um, Sam and I took on a rental. What we thought was going to be a rental house, the first house we ever bought, um, as a as a summer project. You know, when I had between semesters, we spend the whole summer here fixing it up. Come the end of the summer, we're like, well, we own this house. Our friends and family are here. I don't want to really go back to Penn State right now, so I just never went back. I, I, it was almost like an unintentional move, and life just dragged me in this direction. And this is t- around 2010, when this yep. happened? Yep.
0: And so, you come back, and and you're d- d- motivated by a young lady, which has driven <laughs> so many men in directions. <laughs> they weren't even sure they were supposed to be going in, but, you know, we're, we're boys. We're boys, that's what we do. And so, you come back, and, uh, you know, you're... Interested in real estate, the housing market, and you brought up flipping houses. I think everybody thought about it at one time or another through the 2000s. I sure. think because it was all over everything. You know, we had people coming through Detroit, learn how to flip houses, come to my seminar, or do this or do that. And there was there was yeah. $10 houses, pay the taxes, don't pay the taxes, do whatever you got to do. You can buy this whole block. I have a friend, uh, skateboard guy, who when Tiger Stadium shut down. He bought a whole block on the other side of the freeway for almost nothing. A whole block. There's two houses. He doesn't own one little square where a house is, and he owns the rest of the block in one house. And he's like, "I'm just waiting. I'm just sitting on it waiting because something's coming through." Does, does he still have it? Yeah, to this yeah, day. I good. skate with him every once yeah. in a while, and he's a little wacky dude. But he owns a block in Detroit. Yeah. He probably paid you know a couple grand for the whole thing. Right. right. But. Um, so you're interested in flipping houses? This sort of parlays into a little bit of a, a bigger uh, uh, real estate kind of mindset as you continue to evolve as a person.
1: Yeah, yeah, I um, it, absolutely. I, I was always interested in, in real estate, and uh, and when houses with houses being you know super cheap during that time frame, it allowed me to get in when I otherwise couldn't have afforded it. Um, but from there, I really enjoyed it, and so I continued to stick with it. Um, that's what my, my wife Samantha; she's a real estate agent now. Um, I, I'm a broker, but really, I'm like a developer by trade at these days. But we got our first house, the house I live in. This is going to sound shocking to a lot of people who are listening to this. But we bought it for thirty five thousand dollars, nineteen hundred square foot house, two store, you know, double lot, nice place, nice place. It needed a lot of work, which we did. But uh, that—that's what the market was at the time in Detroit, you know. Um, And so we—we started with that one, and over the years, uh, the couple of years that followed, we would like take on one project, right? Just—just Sam and Sam and I, and we—Sam would do the drywall, I would fix the plumbing, you know, (laughs) like that. It was real labor-intensive, just making it happen because that's you know all we had to do. Yeah. And you know, it's not crazy if you look. If you're—if you're in the
0: market for a house, uh, we're talking only six years ago. I found a diamond in the rough similar to that. I have a house right on a park, great neighborhood in in the city of Wyandotte, which is about 20 minutes outside of Detroit. Still in Wayne County, same county, but great blue-collar town with some old history down by the waterfront, all this kind of stuff. I found a house, 1,400 square foot, lot and a half, right on a park, great neighborhood. 50 grand, yeah. And it needed a ton of work, but okay. I was willing to put in that, that sweat equity mm-hmm. to make it what I wanted. They yeah. are out there if you look. Mm-hmm. If you look and you're willing to do the work, as as Ron and his girl, Sam, have done the work to continue to build this sort of, uh, I'll call it a real estate empire because I think that's what you're building. <laughs> but uh, you bought some bigger buildings as well. Uh, we spoke about transitions, and you happened to pick up that building a few years back but you're also looking at other in investment properties that you can do some work on uh, explain to myself and our
1: viewers what is a real estate developer I don't even know what that really is <laughs> I struggle with how to define what the heck it is I do and so that's just kind of the catch-all phrase that I, I use to describe it now but uh, basically what I do in a nutshell is these days is i find things that i think are undervalued for one reason or another like a property that's not being used uh, in a way that you know makes sense for the surrounding area or like something that could be you know better with it or or something that's like falling apart and crappy that can you know if you invest a lot and put a lot of work in can be better than what it is um, and so that's what I do. So I find something that I think is undervalued, try to add value by fixing it up or, or making it better for you know some way, and then and then when it's worth more, you know I'll sell it or I'll, I'll refinance it or whatever. I'll put tenants in there, something like that. Um, take my uh, my building on downtown Wyandotte, the my office building for example. Same thing. It was it sat vacant on the market, and this always happens for like three or four years. Um, it's ugly. It needs a ton of work, so nobody will touch it. Just a little old. I Just, mean the, the the way it was built. Yeah. Yep. That's all. Yep. It was, and it was, but it needed a lot, you know, it was it was a big undertaking. And uh and then I and then when I you know when I made a deal to buy that one, five or six people within a week came up to me, like, oh you snatched it out from under me. I'm like, it had been on the market since twenty fourteen, give me a break. Yeah, but that's that's what I do now. I, I try to find things where I think there's potential to add value by contributing to it. And then, you know, hopefully I'm right. <laughs> well, and you had some pretty big news the last time we spoke, which uh a few weeks ago. Are you willing to unveil the big news that you have in Wyandotte? Sure. Yeah. 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 There's a there's a local real estate guy there named uh, Joe Daly, um, a prominent developer locally, and he had a, a his old building. It's a uh it's two combined buildings, and they're like just under 40,000 square foot. They're right in the center of downtown, um, and the whole block is kind of dilapidated because these buildings are vacant. And and there's not really you have to be local for some complicated reasons to really make it work. It's just a it's a, it's a big undertaking. But I, I ended up making a deal with him and with the city to take over these couple of places and redo both of them to where it's like. A, well, it's going to be mixed use. There's going to be like ten cool apartments right in the center of town, with some like office space underneath, and you know, like a nice restaurant, and then a cool bar type thing, and one of them. It's just it's the very beginnings of this project. I won't even get started on it really till next year, probably. But it's pretty much all locked up at this point. So yeah.
0: Well, in downtown Wyandotte, our, in Windot, you know, the the downtown area, the really happening downtown area, is only a couple, three, four blocks long. We have a hospital. We have a waterfront we're right on the Detroit River, and there's some history there, but there's some newness, and it's it's a really cool combination of almost all things. All things meet right on Biddle, which. Uh, through downtown Detroit, it's called West Jefferson. As you get south of the city into Wyandotte, it becomes Biddle. And what Ron's talking about is, are these buildings that, I mean, uh, some of those buildings are 100 years old. You know, they yeah. the, the turn of the century, yep. they were built. And it has uh, the architecture.
1: There's some old, some new. I mean, the mix is really pretty cool in the city of Wyandotte. So uh, this is a little bit beside the point. But on the front of this one that we're talking about now, there's like this limestone Ledge, and I remember when I was a kid, I'd go there and I'd grind it. We'd put wax all over it, and I'd take big chunks out of it and everything. And you know, whoever was there at the time, probably a bank, they'd come out, they complain and like get off our landscape. And I'm like, why you gotta be such a dick? I'm just trying to ride my bike. <laughs> and now I go there and I'm gonna start the project, and I see like probably my peg mark still <laughs> sitting on it, which I love. I just like you know, if I see a kid out there, I'm like, you know what? Here's some wax, do your thing, man.
0: But see, you know what? <laughs> 20, 25 years ago, twenty years ago, if you, you yeah. there's no way I know it to be true. There's no way you were thinking someday I'll own this building. <laughs> <Heck> no, <laughs> you know, of course
1: not. <laughs> no, of course not.
0: And now we're sitting here talking about uh, you totally revamping the really heart
1: of downtown Wyandotte. That, uh, yeah, I, I hope it becomes that. That's that's my aim with it because it's we're talking about it's like the the one the one project the one one of the two spots I want to put in like a uh, like a recreation kind of bar. Everywhere you go around town now, you can sit there and you know eat and drink, and that's fine and that's cool, but you can't go do something at any of them. You can't do something fun, some kind of actual activity while you're there. So I'm going to do that there. Right on. I digress. Anyway. (laughs) Well, and we don't have that in Wyandotte. You know, if it's with
0: that foaling, you know, where you throw the football at the bowling pins Mm -hmm. or axe throwing. Some people are getting into it. Those are a little extreme. But we, you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. Most of the bars and the, you know, uh, different places around there, you're just eating or drinking. You're not really doing an activity. So I think that's a great idea.
1: Before I take on any project these days, I'll go there. And this is true. I'll sit there by myself in science. I'll turn my car off. I'll, I'll just look at it. And I'll sit there for an hour. Or two. And I'm kind of a fast paced person, so for me to just sit there is rare, but like I'll sit there and I won't start it unless I can see what it becomes. Um, and so I, I, that's what I did there. And I just sat there and I really thought it through, and you know, I, I have this vision. Check back in a couple of years. Maybe I'll get lucky and it'll be right. But yeah, that's that's kind of that's my plan for that. So. Well, and and as your
0: life has shown, you start in one direction, a very positive direction. But in two years, there might be left turn, right turn, you know, backwards, oh. forward, this way, that way, and it turns into something totally
1: different, but even better. Yeah, I I moved to Woodward because I wanted to be an X Games guy. I ended up studying economics. I, you know, yeah, yeah. But but it's all the same, right? I mean, it's all is it. That's the thing, too. When you you sit back and envision what your life is, if you really pursue your goals, you're probably not going to nail it with a bullseye. That's pretty rare, I find. But as long as you keep working hard towards something, you're going to be probably happier with the result than you even would have been had you hit the initial mark, you know? Mm hmm. I agree 100%. You know, I've been speaking for some years to middle
0: schools, high schools, and I always tell kids, I'm like, you know, if you follow your passion, you may not end up exactly where you think but you're going to be pretty stoked on it. For me it's been mm-hmm. the whole motivational thing, you know. I I became a pro skateboarder very late. Mm-hmm. I was 26 years old when I turned really? pro. Really? And now we're 20 years later. I would have never thought in a million years I'd be motivating and inspiring people. Mm-hmm. And now after, you know, authoring a book, TV show, this this show I mean, I I didn't plan this ever, Mm -hmm. you know. I was stopping hockey pucks and thought I was going to be in the NHL in my (laughs) 20s, and so you just don't know. But if you're fired up and you're willing to uh, accept things openly, Mm -hmm. you know, it usually works out pretty good, especially with a positive mindset and and looking out for uh, everybody, not just yourself. I think that's a big thing as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I have to bring up the monumental undertaking that so many people have asked me about uh Corey is, has done a great job building your ramps um I always butcher his last name so I'm not gonna say <laughs> w- orgowski it. yeah, yeah it's spelled with like every vowel in the alphabet but hes awesome <laughs> dude he's done work for freaking Travis Pastrana he's done work for Ryan sheckler dude is a ripping BMf X-er and an amazing human. I love Corey. And whenever I have any or anybody ask me about any ramp questions, I get a hold of Corey. Well, he has done something pretty phenomenal uh, for
1: yeah. you. How did this come about, and what is it? Uh, Corey is definitely an artist with his trade of yeah. building ramps. Um, so, what happened was, I have uh, these mobile bike ramps that we used to use for events often. We use most of them less frequently. So, I had a few ramps. I had a parking lot of this project that I have going on in town, different projects in, in Wyandotte, but uh and it's a few blocks from my house. And I'm like, okay, if I set up a couple mobile ramps, build a couple accent pieces, I'll have something fun to ride. I, I like I said, I started early this year. Basically I have a friend that started dragging me to the skate park every day. And I was like, oh crap. Turns out I still really like this stuff. So I, I started riding again, so I was gonna I was gonna set up my mobile ramps, couple accent pieces, and just have something fun with it. Um so per usual I made this little like napkin drawing of this is what I'm thinking, sent it to Wurgowski. Uh, he sent me back something that I, I was like, "Dang it! I really didn't want to build this whole thing, but this is just too good to say no to." Uh, so we we worked out some details, and uh, all of a sudden, um, quicker than I ever thought it was going to happen, I have a skate park now. That's a few blocks from my house. It's uh, it's what it is. Is it's kind of the opposite of every public thing around because if you want to go ride a four foot tall or five foot tall ramp and some ledges, there's a lot of really good stuff. Detroit has an awesome one now that they just built, um, and and it's really cool, but. For me, the kind of riding I like to do is put on a big helmet, go really fast. I want to ramp this ten foot tall, like, and that's just not around, you know. Um, So that's essentially what I built.
0: Now, is is I've only seen pictures, and I I haven't even driven by because I'm gonna want to skate it. But is you know, you're welcome to anytime. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Uh, Is that giant quarter pipe? Is that sixteen foot tall? 18, I think. 18
1: foot tall. It's it's a vert wall, yeah. So it's it's like an eight foot transition and ten foot a vert or something like that. It's 17 or 18 foot tall, yeah, yeah. That's and and it's. Actually, funny thing, like you know, when it's done, all all of my like local Wyandotte friends, they're like, "Oh, is anybody ever going to get to the top of that thing?" And, and within a week, I had this guy Zach Newman, he's a pro vert rider, swing through town, and he was airing over the top of it. And no I sent this way. picture to all my friends. I'm like, I "Told you I should have went higher." No
0: <laughs> yeah. way. You know, uh, my buddy in, in in Colorado, Scott, he's a few years older than me. Mm-hmm. He keeps building these backyard pools, and they're huge. I'm like, dude, we're not getting any younger. Was, I got to put my big boy socks on to skate that crater in your backyard. <laughs> and the first one was like I don't know, thirteen with two foot of vert cement pool. Mm-hmm. And when he he moved. And he built another one the same size, but the upper deck is all sorts of small transition. But these are big. I mean, you need to seriously have your man
1: goggles on when you drop into this bowl. That's a lot like what you built. Well, isn't uh, like Bob Burnquist's ramp like 30 foot tall in some spots? And he's he's getting up there in age, but he's ripping it, you know? Ripping. Yeah, Ripping. Dreamland is like bigger than life. Yeah. That's his backyard. For, for me, it's harder to screw around on a one foot tall ledge than it is a 10 foot tall quarter pipe. I'm just more comfortable going fast at like a slow tranny with landings everywhere. Whereas like the technical stuff, I don't care if I never do a tech trick again. I just want to go fast and jump something. I like it. I
0: like it. And I always tell people, they have asked me for years, you you ride really fast. And I said, I'd rather fall forward than fall down. Yep. That's why I ride so fast. Yep. And, uh, and I think there's something to be said for that. There's definitely something to be said for that. So we are sitting here with Ron Thomas. Uh, you know, you have heard a very crooked path. I mean, the the drop in always tells like these wacky paths of how people got to where they got to. And Ron's, I mean, chasing his dreams of being a BMX uh, professional, really uh, going to North Carolina, coming to Woodward, and then uh, parlaying that into well, what do I do next? I think I'll go to college. Oh, what do I do next? And and following a girl, I'm gonna say that you followed a girl, came back to Michigan, and now is really I think back in your hometown. Doing things to beautify your own hometown, and uh, I think that's that's very honorable.
1: Hey, I'll shoot that right back at you with dropping down river. I mean, same exact thing, and that's you know why I've had respect for you for a hundred years as well. Well, thank you
0: because uh, you know with dropping down river, we're a nonprofit. We got a quarter million dollar matching grant from the Ralph C. Wilson Foundation, Tony Hawk Foundation. We're continuously raising money to build a world class skateboard park in the city of Windup for all of Downriver. Well. I didn't bring up Ron Thomas is the reason we have a the skate park we do. He was part of that operation. That was some years ago, and you got something built in your own city back then.
1: Yeah, that uh, first off. I don't want to take the credit at all for that, because I was part of a group of people that, that really, you know, it, it certainly wasn't me doing it all. As um, am I with drop-in river. Exactly, exactly. But that was, yeah, that was an effort where we all, you know, had to drive two hours to ride the closest skate park. We were 14 years old, whatever, and, and we wanted a closer place to ride, and so we started trying to raise funds, and we just ba- we basically ended up forming a high school group of skateboarders and bike riders, I forget what the name of it was now, um, that once we had a high school group, a teacher hopped on board, and then we could go to City Hall, and they would listen to us, because we... We're still a bunch of ratty ass kids, but we had a teacher with us, and uh, eventually lobbied them to, you know, fund a skate park for us. And so we got, you know, it's, I mean, it's not a great place, but it's certainly not nothing, and it's, 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 it's cool that the city has something now. I think it's time for your effort to come to fruition, though, so that everybody has a good spot to ride in town.
0: Well, I think we're bringing them. Uh, you know, I think the city is coming around. They've been uh, super helpful, giving us play, a place to meet all winter long, and the businesses in downtown Wyandotte have been super receptive to what we're doing. And we just continue to spread the message of the camaraderie, you know, of of uh, the positive influence, not just either on a bike or a scooter or a skateboard, but what it does for people moving forward in life. What it it's done for me what it's done for you as you continue to move forward in your life. I mean, when you're a BMX rider or a skateboarder, you have to basically, you know, when you're hucking yourself, whatever, down a ramp, steps, whatever, most of the time you're doing it just for personal gratification, just to get the high five from your friends, not for a paycheck, not for any other thing, but to build your own I mean, uh, what would be the good word? Just to to build yourself and to show that if I put my mind to something, I can do it and you've taken that to a, a a great level with BMX riding, with your real estate, what you're doing in the community. I think um,
1: that that is huge, especially to come back home to where you grew up and do it. You say all that, and what I hear is self motivation, and and that's I mean, how many people in action sports have have taken self motivation and applied it to other things? You know, when we were kids, your era and mine. It was you were on the fringe for participating in these sports, but the people that can do this kind of stuff, that can stick to it, they can apply that to anything, and it's it's you know I've seen that a lot from action sports kids. Locally, I don't know if you had a question, and I totally sidestepped it by saying that. But that's what I thought of.
0: No, you're good. You're good because uh, you know in our the little I put together the little show outlines, and we sort of follow them, sort of don't. It's pretty cool. Uh, You know, I wanted to talk about what you got coming up next. We already covered that with what you're doing in downtown Wyandotte. but I did want to touch on the growth of Rise Above a little bit more because there's a gentleman that you work with named uh, Kurt Lettermoser, who I think the world of, and the AGA and Rise. Above have sort of partnered together a few years ago, and you've done shows all over the country. I mean, you
1: guys have really inspired a lot of people. Oh, thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, so in 2012, maybe it was originally called Rise Above BMX. That was that was my BMX show team, and uh, Kurt, who is now my business partner with the events, had a company he called AJ Nation. Um, we merged and kept his name, and um, and but basically, he had a marketing background. I was doing a ton of events, um, like for higher small events, but Several hundred, you know, nine hundred a year or something, and uh, not making much doing it, but working my tail off and you know loving it most of the time. And uh, and I, we, you know, he basically needed events, I needed marketing, so that's how we came together and started working. And we uh, we, we ended up putting together some touring, you know, campaigns. National Guard was our biggest uh, sponsor for a time, and uh, we we did a lot of work together. Yeah, over a few years. Yep. And and
0: some of the pictures that I see because I started with Kurt No Seven, I I met Kurt Luttermoser. He was uh, a big part of uh, getting my TV show done mm-hmm. and and getting different things done. And that's when I met him. And some of the pictures are just red. You guys are jumping over like people and and the jump box. I think I still think backflips are incredible. My personal favorite trick on a BMX bike is a truck driver because I think it's nuts to do a three sixty with a bar spin. Because if you miss, you are done. It's over. That's always been my favorite trick uh, from the time. When I used to ride Smiley, uh, Doug's Doug Arnold. House. Wow, I've not heard that name in a while. Yep. Uh, yep, and he used to do them, and that was my favorite trick. Yep. Uh, but you know, you you talked about Sam quite a bit, and I'm trying to touch on everything in it because sure. I never know when I'm going to get you back here. Sure. So you talk about Sam quite a bit, and you guys travel a ton, man. This picture right here <laughs>
1: is phenomenal. Where is this picture at, man? Uh, you know, I'm going to get this wrong. Looking at this, I want to say that's Half Dome. Which Yosemite, right? Uh, I I got a button from there, (laughs) but I can't tell you where it's at. I'm pretty sure that is. Uh, Yeah, so Sam, my wife runs a travel blog, The Wanderlust Burnett, and she. uh, But but that was really born out of she had never been out of the state when we first started dating. And I'm like, you know what? If we're gonna date, uh, you need to come on the road with me. I was I was doing um, I was sponsored by Levi's at the time before my buddy Seth stole my sponsorship. That's another story. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, But uh, but I I was doing an event out in California, and so I rented a uh, like a little Honda Prius or whoever makes Priuses, Toyota Prius, and and Sam hopped in it, and we took a road trip across the country, slept in the car the entire time, uh, and and started. I took her to the bottom of the Grand Canyon on that very first trip. This is right when we first started dating. Um, and she's all of a sudden just kind of fell in love with hiking and photography. And so she's really into that now. And so because of that, we travel to a lot of cool places and, and hike all kinds of stuff. We hiked uh, Kilimanjaro a couple of years ago, tallest mountain in Africa. Um, we All over the place. Patagonia is one of my favorite places stands out in my mind, too. Like southern Chile, Argentina. It looks a lot like Lake Tahoe, but 100 times the size and just beautiful. Right on, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned Kilimanjaro, and I'm like, wow,
0: that's freaking rad. Like to be able to go and do those kinds of things and then to have your wife write about it? You know? Yeah. How cool yeah. is that? Yeah. How long has she been doing real estate? How long has she get as she together.
1: Together. The the house we live in now was that first one in Wind Out we got in twenty ten. Uh fixed it up together and that was that was our first for age of us into it. And uh, she's been, you know, doing that ever since. We were both kinda into that. You know, when, when we first started dating, we sat down and she's younger than I am, she's thirty one ish now. Somewhere in there. Ish. I hope she doesn't see this. <laughs> 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 no, she's thirty one. And uh and we uh but we just sat down and we're like, All right. What do we want out of life? And we wrote it down. You know, she's she's a stickler for this, and I've I've since got it from her, which I think is a great characteristic or great quality of hers I admire. But uh, we wrote it down, and we're like, all right, this is what we want. This is our goal. Here's where we are. How the heck do we get there? And and she'll dream wild and say. So I, I used to argue with her about it. She's like, you know, you're not thinking big enough. Do this or do that. And I'm like, but I can't. Do, I gotta like show up and work all day tomorrow. How can I, you know, how can I do this big stuff? But she's just been right time and again, and so I finally learned to just get out of her way and let her dream and try to, you know, have it rub off on me whenever I can. Well, and as you get accomplishments,
0: I think momentum uh, is is a growth, and for me early on in my life when i I'd, I'd started after turning pro skateboarding i started having some crazy ideas you know i'm going to make a tv show i'm going to make a book i'm going to do this do that and people used to tell me i was crazy mm-hmm. till you start knocking down some of those accomplishments and then you mention you know i think i'm going to run for uh, you know governor of the state and people don't even doubt you at that point because the things you've done prior to that you've accomplished and not that i want to be governor of this state i don't want anything to do with politics but yep, that's a either. pretty huge undertaking is the point i wanted to make you continue to uh, set them up and knock them down, man.
1: It might seem that way, but it's certainly not the case. I have my fair share of failures. At, before I get into one of those, I, the one popped in my head, but it was uh, it, what you just explained, I agree with. But I kind of like when there's naysayers. Um, one, it's motivating, but two, it makes you stop and think, like, Is what I am doing that crazy? Like, ought I pump the brakes on myself and rethink this? Um, Yeah, but no, I've definitely, like, you mentioned TV shows, right? Like, I I tried to make one of those um, and it failed. And it was a lot of fun to try, but it just totally blew up in my face. I thought for sure I could pull it off. I didn't. Um, And and I've had, you know, I was going to say small, large, extra large, probably handful of failures along the way, too. Um, But you learn from them and you, you know, that's what happens. You chase your passions, you get it wrong two out of three times. The one out of three makes it worth it.
0: Well, and the one I gotta ask about, you know, I wouldn't say it's a failure. I'd say it's a hiccup, but it was a three-year-long hiccup that I don't think about in business. I don't think about the business side of business. I'm not a good business. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm learning to be a better businessman. But you were in a lawsuit for like three years or something. Like, is that a headache? Like, how do you do? How do you do no, that? No, uh, it's.
1: So you hear about people that go through financial struggles or they're in these terrible legal situations or whatever, and that you know they they are in very dark places it, it you know ruins their mental ability for a while it takes them out of who they are and like uh and i mean i can relate to that i understand that because i i was yeah I, I had uh somebody sued me repeatedly over and over again for like 3 years and it cost a fortune um and but but more important than that it destroyed my mentality for a while you wake up every day and you read these 30 page documents that are just designed to make you like the worst person you possibly can be it deteriorates you inside and um and th- in this instance, I didn't do what I was being accused of, and I knew that the whole time. Um, it was a civil thing. and and I uh, you know, eventually the whole thing was dismissed because of that. Um, but it it really kind of got to my mindset for a while to where I wasn't doing I wasn't working on positive things. I was dwelling on negative and being defensive and fighting. And so finally, like it was just just last November um, where I was kind of at a low point in my adult life, and I thought, you know, I need to make a a conscious pivot towards working on something positive again. Um, which is when i to me, I'll look back at November of last year as you know a pivotal moment in my life for a long time. but yeah, yeah, so it's uh, sometimes sometimes even when outwardly things are going good in life, um people can be seriously struggling with stuff or uh, and, and I understand what that is and and sometimes it just you know, even at the time when that when at the worst of the worst of all of that, um I remember thinking, you know, I'm going to learn something in this. I'm going to learn some lessons. I'll be stronger. I'll be more positive or better because of it. And I told myself that. And at the time, I'm thinking, this is crap. Like, how am I ever going to get out of this in a way that well, this was a useful experience? Like, bold. No way. Right. And now, not even a year on or almost exactly a year on, I'm like, you know, that's already real. Like, I've, I've already used that as enough positive energy to work in a direction that I like to where it's, it felt impossible. And now I'm looking back. I'm like, I'm glad that happened. You know, I'm stronger now. Yep, definitely, definitely. You picked up your bike again.
0: You're doing good things in the city of Wyandotte. You're inspiring people. You, you know, you're doing some wonderful things. How does Sam feel about you getting back on your bike? She, she loves it. She's, she
1: supports everything I do, which is, well, it's not entirely true. <laughs> 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 nah, she's, she thinks it's really cool. She, the first time I went back to the skate park and rode when Corey finished it, uh, she wasn't there. She had something else going on, and she was mad at me. How, how can you ride without me seeing it for the first time? <laughs> I'm like. Sorry, babe. skate park was done like a duty called. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, bad weather's coming in. You're going to cover it? What are you going to do about the weather coming in? Just sit on my butt and cry till it gets warm enough to go ride again.
1: <laughs>
0: and the over under you said is 45 degrees. Is that anything over 45 you'll go out and ride if, if you If there's can. a little
1: bit of sun and it's dry at 40, I'd probably push it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, under 40, I'm like, hmm. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> right
0: on. Well, if folks, you know, everybody's all about social media and following people. If if people want to
1: follow you on social media or through the internet, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I'm on Facebook, but really, I'm only on Instagram. Uh, RTBMX1 is my. It's not a hashtag. What's that? It's my at thing. At, at, at RTBMX1. Yeah, that's that's where I. If I'm gonna post on there, if I'm gonna engage with people, I, I go there for it. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Well, thank you once again for
0: coming and visiting with us here in the NRM studios. You're welcome. Welcome back anytime, Ron. Anytime. You got big announcements. You're doing cool things. You finally get done in the city of Wyandotte in two years. You can come back here and talk about it. But I, I, I know we'll see each other before then. So I just want to thank you so much. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode uh, with Ron. Um, any closing uh, comments you'd like to make? Anything we missed in this first installment
1: of the Ron Thomas story? Uh, only that I think this is awesome what you're doing here. Um, you yourself have a laundry list of accomplishments and I'm listening looking forward to listening to your interview on Thanksgiving. isn't yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah, no, th- thanks for having me, man. This is cool and I appreciate it. All right,
0: brother, well, thank you very much. you know, you know, you guys get to glimpse inside. The brain of so many cool people. So do I. I like still nerd out. You know, Ron is a little bit younger than I am, and I'm nerding out. I love listening to the stories and the successes, especially uh, people that I've seen. Come up and, and work their way up the ranks and do those kinds of things, and that's what Ron has done and continues to do. Like I'm stoked to ride his his uh, mech I don't even know what you would call it. Like it, everything is like bigger than life in, in in what was just built. The the quarter pipe's 18 foot high. I don't know, but I have to agree with him. You know, I like going faster. Last weekend I jumped over this hip. I didn't I didn't think I'd do it, and then I started trying it, and the next thing you know, it's done. It makes it look super easy, and I'm like, wow, I was scared of that. It, it it's fun. It's still fun for me to this day to get on my skateboard and forget about everything else that's going on in my life. It is uh, the most extreme form of meditation when you are passionate about something and you get a chance to go do it. And if you've been doing it for 35 years and it still does exactly what it did when I was 11, that's pretty freaking cool. That is, uh, I think, rare. But to be in here today with you in the NRM Studios with Ron Thomas uh, is an honor for me, and I do not take your time for granted. So thank you for spending this 58 minutes with us here in the NRM Studios on the drop-in just inspire you to get off your damn couch and make life happen. This is not a dress rehearsal. You get one shot, and it's your, your job to make the most of it. I am Gerald Valley. That's Ron Thomas, and this has been The Drop-In.